Our gracious God in heaven, we thank You for the blessing of another Lord's Day. And we thank You for this opportunity that we, Your people, may gather together and continue to look at the ministry of the ordinary means of grace. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the sacraments. We thank You for prayer. And we thank You that this indeed points us to the truth of Your Gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, up until this point in looking at the doctrine of Scripture, uh, we, we've had a, a general flyover, or maybe I should just back up and say, in looking at the ordinary means of grace, uh, the ministry of the Word, sacraments, and prayer, we've started here with uh, the doctrine of the Word of God, and uh, last week we finished up our study on the canon of Scripture. Uh, this week, what we're going to, to begin uh, in continuing to look at the doctrine of Scripture, this week we're going to look at the, uh, the attributes or characteristics of Scripture. And some of you who have studied this before, or if you've studied this uh, formally, uh, you will have encountered this topic with uh, various labels, uh, perpescuity and things of this nature. Uh, what I'm going to try to do is, is just uh, use some terms that are going to be a lot more familiar uh, to you and that are traditionally, or rather today, traditionally used in teaching the attributes or character, characteristics of Scripture. And those are the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. And I would imagine that, that each of you uh, are not only familiar with these terms theologically speaking, I would imagine that you, many of you, if not all of you, have heard uh, each of these topics taught on uh, in different ways. And so what I wanted to do is to uh, look at this topic, of, beginning with the topic of authority, and just walk through Scripture. And let's look at uh, how this doctrine is uh, brought to life. How, this, how we derive this doctrine uh, looking at Scripture. So you'll see from your handout, as compared to the last four weeks, uh, where we looked at a lot of history and so forth, this week we're going to look primarily at Scripture. What does Scripture tell us about itself in terms of its attributes? And we're going to begin with this topic of authority. And I'm going to begin with this. And, and this is a key concept in terms of authority, and that is, and this is not going to be a newsflash to any of you, Scripture is God's Word. Scripture is God's Word. And you may say, wow, that sounds like you're stating the obvious, and in a sense, that it, I, I am, but I want, to th want you to think about it this way. Think about the Bible and the Bible's testimony of itself. And I, I want to begin with a scripture that, that all of you are familiar with because I quote it frequently in this class, and that is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, in which Paul writes to Timothy saying, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And there are a couple of words there that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, One of them is the word of Scripture, which is the Greek word uh, translated into English, uh, graphe. And this is the word that is generally used in the New Testament in referring to the Word of God, referring to Scripture. And we're going to, I'm going to elaborate on this in terms of, of its clar- a clarification of whether it's referring to Old or New Testament. But the other word that I want you to pay attention to, and that is it's translated here in the ESV as breathed out by God, or I think the NIV helps us here with a summary. Uh, They do a hyphenated, God breathed. And what is fascinating about this translation and this, this word is in the Greek, it's actually one word, and it is a remarkably Uh, brilliant word, and that word is theopneustos. Theopneustos, again, this is not Greek, obviously, this this is transliteration into, into English, but theo is the word for God, and then Neustos would be related to wind or spirit uh, or, or air or puff of air or things like this. Uh, and so it is one word meaning this, God breathed. God breathed. And the reason why this is important is because we are people who understand that God's Word, that Scripture, is in fact delivered to us from God. We do not believe that it is uh, profitable, but you know, uh, those men were sinners and full of error, ergo, Scripture is full of error. We don't believe that. Uh, We don't believe that Scripture could be true or right in some areas, but would be uh, prone to error or inaccurate or false in some areas. We don't believe that as well. Uh, What we do believe is that Scripture is, and we're going to talk about the definition of Scripture uh, at the conclusion of this class today, uh, is what we understand by that. But this this word graphe, or Scripture, it has literally been given to us by God, delivered to us, to where when we are reading God's Word, when I am preaching God's Word, it is delivered to us from God. It is breathed out by God. And there's a couple of, of places that uh, I want to, to, to look at and, and flesh that out. But before we do, some would say, well, yes, but when Paul was writing that to Timothy, uh, it wa- he was referring to the Old Testament. Because, more than likely, at the time of uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, there was not a New Testament canon. Uh, That's accurate. And uh, perhaps there were not even books of the New Testament canon that were written. That's debatable. But nevertheless, someone might argue that Paul is referring to Old Testament Scripture, not New Testament. 
And if you've heard this before, it actually uh, is not a solid argument. From a timing standpoint, it is a solid argument. But from a revelation standpoint, it's not. Let me give you a couple of examples. When Paul was also writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he quotes from the Old Testament, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then Paul adds to that the words of Jesus. The laborer deserves his wages. And so we see within the New Testament, and we talked about this previously when we talked about the canon, we see that within the Paul's epistles, for example, already there is a reference to New Testament writings, to New Testament Scripture. Or, we also looked at this verse previously, when Peter was writing to the church and referring to the Apostle Paul, he said, "...count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction." as they do the other Scriptures. And again, as we looked at before, uh, Peter there is referring to the Apostle Paul's epistles as Scripture. And so there's already, early in the church, a reference to this. We also see this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 as well, which I think that you've got on your handout. So, in general, this does does not deny the unique aspects of the writer, nor does it mean dictation, but what it does mean is that Scripture came down from God, delivered to the prophets, delivered to the apostles, brought to us, carried forward by by the Holy Spirit to us. In old school theology, they would call this the mode of inspiration. The mode of inspiration. And you don't hear this referred to as much anymore, but the general idea of mode of inspiration is just that, is that God chose to speak through prophets. God chose to speak through the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. And so the general idea is that God chose to do it this way. It was the mode of His choosing. You think about this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It says, "...all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us." This is the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament, delivered to us, in this case, from the prophets, through the apostles, and the writers of the New Testament. Furthermore, when Jesus is quoting, He quotes back and refers to Old Testament prophetic writings. The main point I'm trying to get across to you is this, is that Scripture is God's Word, delivered to us by His mode of inspiration through the prophets and the apostles. But, and sometimes people will make the distinction, like if I'll, uh, uh, you know, someone will say, uh, uh, well, 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 Paul wasn't the author, he was the writer. 
And, well, you know, that, that's a good distinction. I, I think that's like saying tomato and tomato. I mean, I don't, I don't get real hung up on that. But the point that that person, when they make that distinction, is trying to make is who is behind the prophet? Who is behind the apostle? Well, ultimately, we, we know from Scripture that it is the Holy Spirit who is speaking through the prophet and the apostle. Um, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God speaks through His Word, and His people know, Aha, that is the Spirit of Christ speaking to us through others. But one of the points in our, our uh, confession and I've quoted this a number of times, but I want to requote it now because we're sort of tying together some of the things we've looked at over the previous weeks. And that is in chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession, in point 5, it says this, and I'm going to read it it's in, in its entirety, and all I ask of you is that now that we're like at week 5 or 6 into this, uh, and, and I have referenced this before in bits and pieces, what I want you to do is I want you to listen to pick out what we have looked at up until this point and see how it translates into this doctrine of the authority of Scripture. Listen closely. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heaviness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof, are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. Yet... Notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Now again, hopefully, if you were paying attention, you can see now we've covered several aspects of that doctrine up to this point. But what it ties together is... The base, the summary statement is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is the Holy Spirit's work within us that leads us to recognize that this is, in fact, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit testifies, the Holy Spirit confirms. Indeed, all of this, if you think about it, this is just beautifully Presbyterian. All of this points to the glory of God. No one can say, well, you know, that book, 2 Peter, it was a hard one to figure, but I'm so smart that I figured out it really is the Word of God. Trust me. Don't trust them. It's a lie. How do we know that it is the Word of God, as we looked at before? The three-legged stool, right? The Holy Spirit testifies of the Word of God, and therefore we know that it is. Secondly, and this goes back to uh, the point that I made at the beginning of Scripture is the Word of God. So now let's make the correlation. To disbelieve 
or to disobey Scripture is to what? To disbelieve or to disobey Scripture is to what? Disbelieve and disobey God. That's the correlation. Note how the age in which we live, and I, I hesitate to even say that because it's really nothing new. This is, this is, this is just common uh, to the world in which we live. But, but note that there is oftentimes, and I even know people who attend, quote-unquote, a Christian church who will make this argument, and they'll, they'll make a distinction as to say, you know, well... There are good things in that Bible, and, and, and there are things that we should believe, and so forth and so on. But if you press them on it, and if you say, now, to disbelieve, I'm using this terminology, to disbelieve and disobey the Word of God would be equivalent to disbelieving and disobeying God, they're very uncomfortable with that statement. And the reason they're uncomfortable with that statement is because they don't want to give Scripture the authority that we must give it to speak on God's behalf. They're very uncomfortable with giving it that authority. Let's look at a few uh, Scripture verses. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Jesus said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. One of the things that, that Jesus reprimanded the Pharisees on was in fact that they were not listening to the prophetic Word of God. They were not listening to the inscripturated word, inscripturated word of God. They were not paying attention and listening. And because they were not obeying the Word of God, because they were not listening to the Word of God, what, was, what were they guilty of? They were guilty of not believing and trusting what God says. John chapter 15, verse 20. Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And of course, that's also a hat tip to the apostolic influence upon the New Testament. But really, the point I'm trying to make in quoting this verse to you is, Jesus says, if they kept my word. Note clearly that he is making the correlation between himself and the word of God. If you disbelieve and disobey the word, you disbelieve and disobey Christ, the Son of God. Or 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 2, he, and I'm, I'm, there are several verses that help put this in context, and I'm just pulling this out uh, for sake of time. But Peter says that you should remember the predictions, or you could translate that the prophecies, the predictions or the prophecies of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Again, the, the idea there is that Peter is writing to the church and is saying, you're to believe this. This is delivered from God and is delivered to you from God through the Old Testament prophets and through the prophets, I mean through the apostles. Uh, and what is delivered to you is the commandment of Christ. 
In other words, what Peter's doing here is, to a certain extent, he's sort of taking this, this doctrine and tying a bow around it. He's saying, here is what Jesus is commanding you, and oh, by the way, this command comes to you by virtue of the holy prophets, by virtue of Christ's apostles. They've delivered this commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Why are you not obeying it? Well, that's pretty straightforward uh, to help us understand that, in fact, Scripture is the Word of God. Furthermore, in uh, Paul writing to Thessalonica, Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verse 14, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note that that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Now think about what he just said there. He just said that this letter that I've delivered to you is so important that if someone in the church disregards this letter, what are you supposed to do? Have nothing to do with them, he says. Now, he means that in terms of within the church context because the, the inference is that this is more than, more than likely an unbeliever who is in the church and perhaps had disguised themselves, so forth and so on. But the, the main thing is, is that he places the emphasis on that epistle, that letter delivered as the Word of God, and it has and carries the weight of the, the Word of God. God is speaking through all of that. So, again, I know that you may have friends and family members or so forth that, that are in churches that will break these doctrines in two, but it is important for us to maintain the integrity of of this authority. And I, I want to pause here because I'm going to make a transition uh, and talk about the, the doctrine of inerrancy. But before I do, I want to open this up with a question. Why is it so incredibly important that we as Christians believe that the Word of God is literally God-breathed and that the Word of God is authoritative? Why is it important? And, and let, me, let me help you here. I am not asking why is it important for a worldly and pagan culture in which we live to acknowledge that the Bible is authoritative. I didn't ask that. That's another topic for another day. I'm saying as Christians, as those who profess Christ, why is it so incredibly important that we believe that Scripture is God-breathed, delivered to us from God, and that is authoritative over our lives? Why is that so important? And I'm not looking for just one answer, incidentally, so there's not like, uh, make sure you get the right answer and not the wrong one. There are a number of answers to this, right? Yeah, J.J.? Yeah, that's exactly right. There would not be a consistent standard to, to refer back to. It could change with the times. Um, I was criticized recently uh, regarding our, our form of, of government, and not necessarily our form of government, but the fact that uh, was was criticized because uh, we have only uh, male elders, only men serve as, as elders. And uh, the, the inference of the criticism toward me uh, was that, um, well, we're, uh, we're misogynistic. And no, no one said this, so I'm, this is just my internal 
deduction or the inference made, but, well, we're misogynistic. Well, we're male chauvinistic. We are uh, anti... We think that men are better than women. We think that men are better leaders than women. We think that insert whatever the answer is. And, and to be clear, I want to be fully transparent. I don't believe any of that. Uh, as I have said before, I'm quite certain that there are a number of women that would make better elders than the motley crew that we have at this church. <laughs> and I'm looking around and I actually don't, I think we've worked it out where they're not here today. So this is great. This is just our little secret <laughs> on video. Um, but, but the response, and I think you all know this, but the response is, is that it's not any of those things. It's first Timothy chapter 3. I can't get around it. And if I believe that Scripture is the Word of God, and if I believe that it is authoritative, then when I look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as Titus for that matter, I cannot find the grounds for a woman to serve as an elder, even though I believe that women are more than capable, more than able to serve in a leadership role. I just have to treat the Scripture as authoritative. That's, that's my answer. And incidentally, to, to J.J.'s point, is that helps in the shifting sands of culture. When things are always shifting around, if you are following culture, you can imagine some of the weird things that we would be thinking as a congregation right now, right? Instead of a cross on the, the Lord's Supper table, we'd have a, a rainbow banner or something, you know? I mean, you can just imagine how off course this could get. What else? Why else must we keep uh, the right understanding that Scripture is, in fact, God-breathed, and it is, in fact, authoritative over our lives. Well, how, how would we come to faith in Christ? We, we need a revelation from God, right? And, and, and as, as to, to that point... Someone said to me, and this is a, this is a friend of mine, but, but someone said to me, um, well, you know, I just don't think that all of that is true. Well, deductively, my response is, is which parts? And even more importantly, who chooses? Because if I choose what's true and what's not true, that's concerning. If you choose what's true and not true, that's even more concerning. I trust myself better than I do you, and I don't trust myself. So, so how would I know that when Scripture says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall have eternal life, how do I know that's true? Unless it's all true. Unless God delivered it as truth, capital T. Right? Yeah. Were you going to say something else, Phil? Okay. Don or, or Julie, one of you had your hand out? Yeah.
Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's right. That's right. That's good. As, as important as the resurrection. That's a good, good, good point. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's like the person that says, um, you know, how, how, how do I know that there's not going to be, this is actually, this was really said to me. So <laughs> here it goes. How, how do I know that there's not going to be another something like the flood? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, well, I, my first response was, well, we're given the promise there's not going to be another flood. He said, I know that, but why can't there be something else that, that's like the flood? And, I, and I'm like, well, okay, I, 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 will, I will give that to you. But as we study Scripture and as we believe we have a full canon, there, there is nothing left that would point and direct us that somehow life on this earth ends through one cataclysmic episode. And, and so, but again, in my conversation with him, note what we're having a conversation from, the basis of the Word of God. And I think the, the point that I want to reiterate, which I, I know that all of you uh, agree with, is, is that we started hearing warnings in the church, in the quote-unquote, and I, 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 disre- I dislike this phrase, this idiom, probably more than anything, but culture wars. Um, when we started hearing of culture wars coming our way back in the 70s and 80s, and people began to sound the alarm, and, and I can remember one of the first times that I heard R.C. Sproul, it was on this topic, and R.C. was saying, I'm telling you, this is what's coming because the authority of the Word of God is being eroded in the church. And when that goes, everything goes. And he was exactly right. I mean, you think about it. We are in a minority among believers in the United States alone, but especially in the world, that stand firmly on the authority of Scripture. And so, uh, but because of that, then we don't shift with the winds of change in culture, but we rest firmly on the Word of God. Okay, so the last thing that I want to end on, and some of you may be uh, familiar with this, but actually just recently um, I learned that, that quite a few people aren't. Uh, we don't hear it referred to as much anymore, but on the topic of inerrancy, One of those theological terms uh, that you've heard thrown around. Uh, maybe you've heard me uh, say it before. Uh, I'll hold up the, the Bible. I say this is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. In general, what does the word inerrant mean? Without yeah, without error. That's right. Without error. And one of the helpful things about this doctrine is, A, is that we can rest upon it as being the accurate Word of God, to be, to be free from error. But one of the things that is very helpful, and I'm, I'm going to draw attention to the back side of your handout, um, what I've done is I have copied not the whole thing, but just a summary from the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. 
Um, just, I'm just curious, how many of you have actually heard of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy? All right, two, all right. If possible, half of you lie and raise your hand anyway. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, <laughs> you, you don't hear it referenced as much any, anymore, which is really a shame, but, but when it happened, it was a big deal. And what the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy is, is a consortium of conservative evangelicals met, and I'll just leave it to you to guess what city they met in, and they came up uh, with uh, doctrinal statements on what we believe as conservative evangelicals on the inerrancy of Scripture. And this language is not Scripture that I'm going to read to you. It's not perfect, but it's pretty doggone good. And so I want to walk through this with the remaining time. We've got about five minutes left, and I want you to listen to this. What a, what a blessing it is to have this sort of encapsulated for us. Number And again, this is not all of it. So Google, Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. You can get the whole thing. It's an easy read. Number one, God who is Himself truth and speaks truth only, has inspired Holy Scripture in order thereby to reveal Himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as Creator and Lord, Redeemer and Judge. Holy Scripture is God's witness to Himself. That's a beautiful statement. Really well written. And notice the very first sentence. God is truth capital T, in Himself. That's a good place. If you're writing doctrine, that's a good place to start. God is truth. Number two, Holy Scripture being God's own Word, that's what we looked at today, written by men prepared and superintended by His Holy Spirit. That's referring back to when Peter talks about that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what's meant there by superintended is of infallible divine authority in all manners upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. And those are some beautiful little statements there that are separated by the semicolons. Think about what that's saying. It is believed that as God's instruction in all that it affirms. We're to obey it in all that it requires. We're to embrace it in all that it promises. Well, that's what we do. And that's part of knowing that Scripture is, in fact, inerrant. We don't have to, to wonder and guess around and go, well, I wonder if that was that chapter that was just full of error. No, we trust God's Word as being uh, accurate, to be inerrant. Number three, the Holy Spirit, Scripture's divine author, capital A, both authenticates it to us by His inward witness and opens our minds to understanding its meaning. And, and that's, that's an evangelical statement, right? That, that's not what it, the... Uh, Chicago statement on inerrancy would have been written by the Roman Catholics. But as evangelicals, we believe that it is the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Word of God and speaks within us to confirm it is, in fact, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us discern what is the Word of God. Number four, being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching 
no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God than in its witness of God's saving grace in individual lives. And what they're saying there is sometimes you'll hear someone, and I've also had this said to me before, I, I had someone uh, say, you know, oh, oh preacher boy, don't, don't tell me about the Bible. I don't want to hear about all that Bible stuff. It's just the plan of salvation. That's all that matters. Plan of salvation. And I would have said, had I gotten a word in, I would have said, well, you know, the plan of salvation comes from the Bible, Right? I mean, that's its origin, but I never could get that out. But he did not want me to talk about anything having to do with the Bible except that. What they're saying here is, good place to start. That's exactly right. The plan of salvation and what? And it's truth in everything that it touches upon. And you'll note here the emphasis upon creation, world history, even giving a hat tip to the literary origins, which you know that I emphasize often in this class. You've got to know how to read the Bible. That's what they're saying there. Number five, the authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own. And such lapse brings serious loss to both the individual and the church. And that's a good way to, su- to end the, the summary there. One thing that I did not include here, and, and, and I've got to end on this, is that the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy does reference the original autographs. I believe actually they use the word manuscripts, uh, but oftentimes you'll refer to them, they'll refer to them as, as autographs. And what that means is, is that we believe that, that Scripture is inerrant in the original autographs those that were originally given by hand to the churches. Uh, they, they are authoritative. We have good reason to trust the manuscripts that have been handed down. And as I have taught on before and will teach on in some of the coming weeks, uh, the blessing that we have, some of our modern translations are brilliantly translated. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, there is one of the reasons why our ministers should know uh, the Hebrew and Greek, and also why we, why we need scholars uh, to help do the research to better and better understand uh, the blessing that we have carried down to us through the manuscripts. i got to end there. Next week, we are going to look at the topic of the clarity of Scripture. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You that Your Word is inerrant that we go to it because You are truth, and so we go to it knowing that it is truth. And we thank You that You have given it to us, that we are privileged to have it, that we may read it, that we may study it, that we may meditate on it, that even today it may be preached from. And we ask, gracious Heavenly Father, that You would help us to always be grateful in our hearts for the gift that You have given us in Scripture, that we would faithfully study it, faithfully read it, that we would be people of your word because you indeed have spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.